You can be seated. You know that that song with everything. That's how he wants us to worship him. But that's also how he wants us to live our lives, is with everything. Every ounce that we are, every hidden piece in our life. He wants us to worship him with everything. You know, we're in the last week of this 40 day fast. I don't know, what are we, like 35 days now or something like that? <laughs> I don't, it's been so long I forget. 35 days. We're in the final week of this 40-day fast. And I don't know about you, and we have about 50 people or so on this fast, which to me is extraordinary. But what's more extraordinary is what God's doing. I hope that you've been watching what He's doing. Because He's not only working in your life, He's not only working in this church, but He's working in this world, in this nation. He's working in the bride of Christ. He's working in the very church that He loves so much. Now, it's interesting to me, because... You look up on the screen, and for those of you in the north wing, you don't know what you're looking about. But it's the same thing that, that we've had up there, our, our, our kind of picture of this courts of heaven with the gavel and all that. And we're on part six, words have weight. Last week we talked about how the books in heaven are opened and how we each have a book and all that. And about 12.30 last night, God started speaking to me and giving me these little indicators, which is awesome because he actually usually doesn't let me know that far in advance, giving me indicators that he might change what he has me say this morning. And, and so I, it, it, when I got up this morning, I was, I was just worshiping and doing my devotions. I felt him say, have another slide ready. So I kind of thought he was joking. So I put a slide together that was kind of a joke, but it's really not. Go ahead and put the slide up. This is the slide that we're going to keep up there. It just says, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. Because, see, it's not my word that I have for you this morning. It's His word. And let me start by praying, Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. And I submit myself before you, before your court, asking that if you see any wicked way in me, that you will bring it to my mind, Father. And I ask forgiveness for that. I ask that as I come and, and preach forth your word, that I am completely cleansed of anything that would get in the way of that. I ask forgiveness for that, Father. And I ask, Lord, before all of these people and all of those online, I ask, Father, that my very words will be your words and none of my own. 
I submit myself, I submit my life to you to be used however you wish this morning and every day for that matter. We love you so much. I pray that you, as you have already prepared hearts, that you break through and you speak to individuals this morning because your love breaks through anything. As you said in 1 Corinthians 13, love covers everything. Let your love permeate this place this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, he gave me a word last Tuesday. Can't remember, I think it was during worship. And I shared it Tuesday night briefly. But I, I just shared kind of the title of it. And what he told me Tuesday night was that he was bringing a holy chaos to this world. Specifically the United States because of what the United States has in her calling. He is bringing a holy chaos. What do I mean by that? See, I asked him the same thing. Wait a second, God is not the author of confusion. So Lord, when you tell me you're bringing a holy chaos, what does that mean? You don't bring confusion into our lives. You don't bring confusion into our surroundings. But yet, if you open your eyes at all to this world, to the United States, even in your own life, as we're in this fast, you look around and there's confusion everywhere. There's literal chaos everywhere. Politically, there is chaos everywhere in the United States. But see, it's not just the United States. If you follow up with any other countries at all, they take their lead off what is going on here. So as chaos erupts here, it erupts everywhere else. So when he told me he is bringing this holy chaos, he talked about it being something that he allows in his warfare. And I was reminded of Gideon. And I mentioned this just briefly on Tuesday night. But I was reminded of Gideon how when he did what he was supposed to do, and we know it was just Gideon's 300 men, but the Midianites were there, and I, it, it was Malachites, I think, or something, but there were 135,000 of them. And when it got down to Gideon's 300, God was ready to do something. Right? And what he did was he brought a holy chaos to that encampment. As we read the story, we understand that Gideon never even flung a sword, a sword in that original battle. Can you not hear me? It's a little loud? A little louder. By the way, this is a perfect time to say that uh, you need to pray and ask the Lord if... He might want you to learn sound <laughs> and be here with us. Can you hear that? Yeah, because I need to... Oh, 
<laughs> See, that's the problem is I'm right in front of this thing, so it, it when I turn it up, it um, it squeals. But um, so, anyways, what God allowed in that encampment of the Midianites is a holy chaos. You know, let's let's look this up. Go to, uh, the story of Gideon is in Judges. Uh, let's turn to Judges. And I want to say it's chapter 7. Yeah, Judges chapter 7. Let's just go through this. Let's see what happened here. To get an idea of what God did. Because I... I I think it has everything to do with what is going on right now in our lives, in our church, in our country, in the world. Okay? So if we look at Gideon, first of all, prior to chapter 7 is what we really kind of know Gideon for. When you think of Gideon, you think of the fleece, right? That's the first thing that comes to my mind is, is well, he laid a fleece before the Lord. And, and so we're, we're not going to go through that what he was doing there was proving out the word of the Lord. And once he had proved out the word of the Lord, laying a fleece twice, and the Lord came through and, and he said, this is what it is, trust what I'm saying, then he did not question after that at all. There was no question. In fact, I could almost picture as I'm reading through this that the Lord had to hold him back a little bit. You know, he was raring to go. He knew what the Lord wanted. He knew that he was the man called for this job. So he knew to step forward. Now, as he did, he stepped forward in faith. And then, you, you know the story where, where it, it came... As a matter of fact, let's look at this. Started out with over 30,000 people, 30,000 Israelites, up against 135,000, right, of, of, the, of the opposing army. So it was already bad odds for Israel. And, and it, it, it says that they were encamped below them. So you could picture Israel was up on a mountain or a hill or something. They were above this encampment. It, it's almost like the 135,000 were in a valley, which, which we'll get to in a minute. So in, in your mind, I want, I want you to picture what's going on. You have, you have Israel. You're part of Israel, right? And you're with over 30,000 of, of your, your families. And down below you is 135,000 that want to kill you. They want to take you over. They want to destroy you. So, so you're already nervous, Right? Now, now this, this isn't all of Israel. This is the army of Israel that's there. Okay? Because they're not in their homes. They're out here to oppose this army. Okay? So, God says, and let, let's, let's uh, pick it up in verse 2 of Judges chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hand lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So right away, remember, he already went through the fleece. He already knows that he is to go to war. He is the called leader in this 
in this opposition of the Midianites, and, and he is ready and he is trusting, but God's about to take him to a new level. He's about to take him to a whole new level of trust. You know, because he's thinking, okay, well, that's four to one. Four to one or a little over four to one. Uh, that's tough, but you know what? We, we can do that. With your help, God, we can do that. You know, you can imagine him talking about this in his mind. You know, picture that in your own life where you know what you're called to or you've been told you're called to something or told to do something and you immediately take inventory of your own abilities. You immediately take inventory of where you're at. Well, I have this, I have that, I have these friends, I have these family members. I have these things at my disposal. I take inventory of them and, okay, God, here, I got my stuff. Let's go. And then God says, hold on. (laughs) Just like he said in verse 2, you've got too many things you're counting on. You've got to trust me. So in order for me to get you to trust me, I've got to take some of those things away from you. Some of those things that you rely on, that you trust in, that you hang your confidence on. I've got to take some of those things away. We call it a comfort zone, right? We call it a comfort zone because what we wrap around ourselves is this buffer to the world that makes us feel like we can exist. And we can handle what's coming at us. Why? Because we're in our comfort zone. We, we feel comfortable with what we have and what we know how to do. But see, the prayer that messes that whole thing up is when we say, God, I want your will. God, I love you and I want intimacy with you through your son. I want a relationship with you. I want you to work in my life. I want my life not to be my own because I trust you with it greater than I trust myself. See, when we pray that, after we have accepted Him into our heart as Savior, when we pray that and say, I give you my life, you know, I could just picture Him saying, Okay, you sure? You sure about that? You sure that's what you want? Because I I know you see my promises. And you see that perhaps you're in a tight spot. And you want me to come help you. But see, what you're asking for is intimacy. What you're asking for is relationship. Are you sure that's what you want? Yes, Lord, that's what I want. Okay. But see, for Him to do that, He has to begin changing our surroundings. He has to begin changing our comfort zone. Changing that blanket that we keep around ourselves that protects us. That protects our emotions. That protects our hurts. Our losses. It protects. protects our fears. It allows us to see the world through these glasses that make the world more rosy than it may be. 
So he starts chipping it away, taking away those comfort zones, taking away perhaps relationships, ones that you thought were great and ones that you lean on. But see, anything that is more important than Jesus Christ in us, when we say we want you, He's going to take it away. He's going to start chipping it away. And I I submit to you, it's because we asked. Because the very thing that we want cannot be achieved when there's something in the way. So he starts chipping it away. That's what he did to Gideon right here. Okay, well, you, you think... You think four to, four to one is okay? <laughs> okay. I'm about to change those odds. Alright, so first and foremost, you have way too many people because you will be able to take on yourself the glory and Israel will take on the glory of what I am about to do because I'm going to do it. He already promised he's going to do it. So Gideon's coming from the mindset of, I know what God wants to do. I know He's going to do it. So God says, but we're not ready yet. Verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. So what he's telling him is, I know you recruited all these people. He said, but some of them do not have the heart for this warfare. Some of them will be unready. They will not be ready for what they're about to face. So I want you to give them an out. Perhaps that's where you're at this morning. Where you asked God, for his best. And now you've faced difficult trial. And he's saying, I love you. I give you an out. I'm not going to send you into war if you don't want to go into war. But by the way, that's where my best is. Just like these people. So God gave them an out. And when Gideon pronounced that, what happened? Two-thirds of them left. 22,000 people left. It says, Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So out of the 32,000 that were there that he felt somewhat good about, now, all of a sudden, it is 13 to 1. So I could just imagine Gideon. He's thinking, okay. He said, well, I had to get four. Now, now I've got to get 13. You know, he's put, putting all these, okay, how do I do that? And, you know, I can do that because the Lord's with me. But all 10,000 of us have to do that? And nobody can die. Think about what's starting to go through his mind. Okay? Because what's happening here is God is testing the very resolve that he gave Gideon in the first place. He said, I will do it. Right? That's what he said in chapter 6. I will do it. I will defeat this army. Trust me. 
So immediately Gideon's thinking in his own mind how it can mechanically happen with what he has. Then God takes two-thirds of it away. (laughs) You can imagine Gideon just reeling at that point thinking, "I, I know I told you I'd do this, but God, you're taking everything away that I'm to do it with. It doesn't say that he got mad at God or got frustrated with God, but how often do we do that? When things don't go the way we think they're supposed to go, and he begins chipping away at that comfort zone, and then we get angry. Wait a second, God, this wasn't in the contract. This wasn't what I thought it would be. I just wanted to be close to you. I just wanted to hang out. I didn't know that would mean fighting this or fighting that. Or knowing that that by saying that, the enemy was going to come after me like he is. I, I didn't sign up for this. You can imagine Gideon saying that. We do that in our own lives because we like to keep a tight control on what we want to do. (laughs) And I I could just, you know, anybody here who who is a parent understands this feeling when they have a little child that, that can't see beyond their own needs and when you take something away from them or you take something and put it aside for a time. And you see the reaction of that child like, I, I don't understand. Why can't I do that? Why can't, there's nothing wrong with it. Why can't I do that? As a parent, you understand because it's good for you. Because of the very thing that you want is to be intimate with Jesus Christ. So he has to chip away at that comfort zone, Right? So he gets rid of the 22,000. Now now Gideon's, he, he's, he's okay, all right? Because we read this and it, and it seems to happen just in a few minutes because we read the whole thing in a few minutes. But you've got to apply time to this, okay? It didn't take three minutes for 22,000 people to leave that area. You can imagine that this happened over the course of perhaps a few days, And you can imagine as those 22,000 people are leaving and Gideon and the 10,000 that are left are like, (laughs) hope to see you again. You can imagine what's going through Gideon's mind. Looks over the hill and, yeah, there's still 135,000 down there. And and we're down to 10,000. But he trusts the Lord. That's the key. He trusts the Lord. Lord, okay. I wasn't ready for that, but I know it's your will because you said it, and I trust you. And he begins to get his mind wrapped around this new paradigm, this new understanding that now it's got to be 13 to 1, technically 13 and a half. So we've got to get that extra half in there, right? So, so he's getting his mind wrapped around, okay, no problem, 13 to 1, you know, God, you can do this in us. We believe you. I I get my, my head wrapped around that. We do that in life. When something happens to us, something that we we face that we know is something that God wants us to face, 
He wants us to push through. He wants us to trust Him in. It's a new paradigm. It's a, it's a new comfort zone in our life, if you will, that we have to be comfortable with in order to move forward. So we adjust. We adjust ourselves. And by the way, that's a good thing. To learn how to adjust in the will of God is a good thing. By the way, it's an important thing. Because if you ask for the will of God in your life, there's one thing I can promise you. I promise you it will be different than what you think. <laughs> it will be comfort zones that you have to reacclimate to. Perhaps reacclimating to dealing with warfare. You know, I've gone through this myself. It, for, for well over the past year, God has been teaching me and others how to war in this warfare. That the spirit world, as we seek, Matthew 6.33, seek His kingdom, right? What that means is we're seeking Him in His realm, not ours. Not locked within our three dimensions plus time, but in His dimension. So as we seek Him, we open ourselves up to receiving Him, receiving communion and community with Him. But understand something. When you open yourself up to that realm, which we're supposed to do to seek Him, you also open yourself up to the enemy in that same realm. This is very important to understand. And the reason for that is because that's the realm where God is. I am convinced you cannot have closeness with God. You cannot have intimacy with God without having a target painted on your back. Why? Because when we're intimate with Him and He fills us with His love, it's got nowhere to go but pour out. When I fill up with the love of Jesus Christ, I can't contain all that. So it begins to pour out of me. If you seek Christ, He begins to fill you up and pour out of you. You can't contain that. And that's the last thing that the enemy wants. So what's he do? He paints that target on your back. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to make them unable to do the very thing that God wants them to do in the intimacy that they seek. I'm going to put a stumbling block in their way. We face this all the time. If you pray the prayer of wanting intimacy with Jesus Christ, I promise you, you will face this. I promise you, if you're facing it now, there's victory. If you keep your eyes focused on Him, there's victory. But I promise this too. There's still going to be more warfare. But He teaches you how to deal with the warfare. I'm not going to preach on this this morning, unless God tells me to. But He is teaching me something now and, and has been teaching me this ever since I went to California a couple of months ago. He's been teaching me how to fight in, I don't have a better word for it, I call it stealth mode. <laughs> right? 
Just kind of like a, a sniper would put on a ghillie suit and, and can hide to where the enemy doesn't see him. You could literally be right on a sniper and would never know it. See, we are afforded capabilities in the spirit to not be seen by the enemy. And, and, and again, I know I'm not to preach on that this morning, but, but I want to tell you, in my seeking of intimacy with Jesus Christ, He has called me to be a warrior because you have no choice. You're thrown into this because of the enemy. He's called me to be a warrior, but, but what He's done is He's equipped me and is equipping me for that battle, just like He was doing Gideon. Okay, so let's get back into the mind of Gideon here. Gideon's just getting his mind wrapped around the 10,000. Okay, that was a big blow to me. It's been a few days. We said goodbye to him. You know, okay, we're okay. And, and, and you can imagine the 135,000 down there. Now, I don't know if they saw the 22,000 leave or not. But if they did, they had to be getting excited. You know, thinking, well, this isn't going to be as much of a battle as we thought it was. Although I'm going to suggest something different. See, because when God works on a child of God, He begins to work on His enemy. He begins to manipulate the enemy in such a way that they're prepared for what He wants in that battle. And we're going to see that in a minute. But I want you to recognize that in your own life. Whatever you face in your own life, And remember last week we talked about there are many books in the court of heaven. Each one of us have a book, but so do nations. And I want to submit to you that the chaos going on in our nation right now, this is an example of what God is doing. If you trust him, if you open your eyes, if you stand in agreement to his will, you'll see that and you'll see what he's doing. So now it's down to 10,000 people, right? Let's pick it up at verse 4. <laughs> the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Okay, imagine Gideon's reaction. It's like, seriously, Lord? 13 and a half to 1, and we're still too many? Uh, that's how we'd react. It's like, whoa, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to the beginning. Because when I said that I'm willing to do whatever you want and you called me to do this and said you'd give me everything, Lord, I really expected you to bring more. Not take away from the 32,000 that are here. And now you want to take more? Uh, Just picture him. Picture him just trying to get his mind wrapped around this. So, again, verse 4, Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. He didn't say, I will have you test them. He said, I will test them, because I'm the one who prepares them. The Lord is. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So you can imagine, verse 5, So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue 
as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So, so picture what's happening. They're, they're down, they're at some stream or whatever, some river. Okay? And, and God said, I'm gonna test them. You trust me. I'm gonna test them. Have them all come and drink. So again, you could picture some times past. Because it's not like, okay, let's, let's, uh, the 22,000 just left, hey, let's go get a drink. You know, it's not like that. It's in the course of time. Now, because they had to do everything together. Remember, they're at war. They couldn't have five or six go get something to drink, come on back, and another group go get something. No, they, they did these things as a mass. They had to because of what was facing them just down the hill. So, so it, you can picture that next time you go get water, here's what I want to do. Watch how they drink. Watch how they drink. And separate them according to how they drink. Some will lap it up like a dog. What does that mean? They're down on their hands and knees and they've got their face in the water. They're drinking it and it, all they're consumed with is getting water. That to me is another example that they couldn't just go anytime they wanted. Right? Because there were many that the water became more important than the safety. But then there's another group, he said, that'll kneel down and that'll lift the water up to their mouth to drink. Now, why would you do that if you're at war? You would do that because you keep your eyes open. Because what you're doing as you're working, you don't take your eye off what God has placed before you. See, that applies to us today. What has God, God called you to do? And I don't mean career-wise and all that. I'm talking about you have a purpose in your life right now. Maybe He's laid on your heart to witness to people. Maybe he's laid on your heart to pray for people. Maybe he's laid other things on your heart. Do you keep your eye on that? Do you keep your eye fixed on that? And when distractions come, do you push the distraction aside? Or do you deal with the distraction but with your eyes still on what God wants? Or do you become engrossed in that distraction? See, this is an important point in a Christian's life. Because if you want intimacy with God, I guarantee you the enemy will bring distraction in your life. Guaranteed. Because that's one of his most effective ways of getting you off track. And see, God knew that testing right here would yield a small number. It does the same in the church. Man, I'm here to tell you, I, I've, I've been in church leadership for over 25 years. And the percentage of people that do the work in the body of Christ are is small compared to the body of Christ. It's minuscule compared to the body of Christ. Why? Because, well, those, those are special people. And, well, some of them are special, but, you know... <laughs> Those are special people, and God just gives them the ability to push through it. 
Or perhaps you think, well, they don't have the same troubles that I have. I'm here to tell you that it's no different. It's no different. When we are given a calling of God, we, and we accept that, rest assured there will be opposition to that. They're just the ones that drink the water, bringing the water up to their mouth. They're just the ones that keep their eyes on what God wants for them instead of distraction. And I move to the right or I move to the left. See, here's the beauty of distraction. Distraction comes from the enemy, but God gives recourse to that distraction. He gives us the ability to deal with it how we need to deal with it. We never have to take our eyes off of Him. Because that's the test. That's the test that was going on here. Even for Gideon, you can imagine Gideon now. Now you can imagine each person coming to the water and he's going, okay, please kneel down. Please kneel down. Please kneel down. Don't, no, 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 don't go all the way down. You know, and he's chucking at man alive. There, okay, go stand over there. And time after time after time after time, they go over to the other side. And then finally, God has these two groups, right? Let's read on. Verse 6. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. And all the rest of the people knelt knelt down to drink and stuck their faces in the water. (laughs) Okay. If Gideon wasn't confused before, he has to be confused now. Because you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out that your odds just got a whole lot worse. So, So what you're telling me, Lord is we just went from 13 and a half people to one to over 450 people to one. Not only do we have to be perfect. Lord, I don't even know if I have that much energy. (laughs) I I mean, literally, unless those 450 people line up in front of me and just stand, yes, me next. Okay. And even then, you're going to get tired. You can imagine what his mind was. It's like, oh, there's no way. How in the world is this even possible? What does God say? Verse 8, So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, which, which, by the way, that was in, in the encampment there. He, he sent him back home. But retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Okay, now you can imagine Gideon going to the Lord. Okay. Okay, now I got these 300 men and there's 135,000 down there and God, this is not what I signed up for. Now, it doesn't say that here. Okay, but remember, he's a person just like we're a person and he has reactions just like we have reactions. And there's evidence in Scripture that he questioned the Lord, which we'll read here in a second. 
And you can imagine what he was saying. God, am I reading you correctly? Did I hear your voice right? Wait, maybe you, maybe that wasn't even you. Maybe that was the enemy. Maybe the enemy has made me get rid of all these people. Maybe it wasn't you at all, God. And don't we do that in our own lives? We know something's from the Lord, and then something comes to oppose us that's stronger than we can even imagine, and all of a sudden we're like, well, maybe I got that wrong in the first place. Well, Lord, maybe you didn't really want me to preach. Maybe you didn't really want me to do what you've called me to do. Then you begin questioning everything that he's told you up to that point. Well, maybe I don't even hear you right. Maybe it's not really you. Maybe, 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 maybe you start tumbling down this hill of maybes until you get to the point, maybe I'm not even a child of God. Maybe, maybe I'm not saved. Oh, wait a, wait a second. Maybe there is no God. Maybe everything that I have heard for so long is just all junk. And I have put this whole thing in my mind the whole time. Do you see what happens when you give in to distraction? What is distraction in Gideon's case here? Well, I think fear. <laughs> fear is a pretty good distraction. That 450 to 1 odds, that's a pretty good distraction. You know, I mean, in his case, he's talking about his very life. Praise God, it's pretty rare that we have to face that. It's not that we're walking into a literal firing squad like he was. But we fall to these distractions and it makes us question the very God that we want to be intimate with in the first place. That's huge. So, let's keep reading. Because that's what's going on with Gideon here. I, I don't mean questioning that there is a God. I'm saying he's questioning what God said. Okay? Now he has his 300 men. He says, that same night, the very same night that the 300 were chosen, that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. That same night. He just saw the 9,700 9, be called off and go back to their tents. Now he's got 300 and God says, okay, we're ready. <laughs> what? Where's the reinforcements? I know machine guns haven't been invented yet, but God, that would really help. <laughs> right? You can imagine what's going on in his mind. He's not even giving Gideon any time to think about it. You can imagine the anxiety that Gideon had. Ooh, tonight? Wait a second. Uh, you know, how often does that happen to us? When we're sitting at a restaurant and the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that person and pray for them. Right now? God, I just prayed about that yesterday. I didn't mean this soon. I need time to readjust. I need time to... You can imagine the anxiety 
that Gideon was having because his was life or death. He trusted his God, but it was life or death. And the Lord knew that. So verse 10, he said to him, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. Just the two of you. Go down to the camp, just the two of you. And here's what's going to happen. You shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he was willing. He said, okay. Okay. I trust you, Lord. I'm scared. I have this anxiety. This opposition is too big for me. But I trust you, so I go. I go down. I bring my friend because this is my comfort zone. So I I bring what little comfort I, I even have left because everything's been stripped away. But I bring my comfort with me and I go. I will hear what they say. And what happens? What happens? Let's keep reading here. And the Midianites and Amalekites and all the people of the east lay long the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number. And as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, you can imagine them just kind of sneaking up. Maybe that's that stealth I was talking about. I don't know. But you can imagine them sneaking up to the side of the camp close enough to hear the enemy talk. That's what's going on here. When Gideon came, behold, a man, one of the Midianites, or Amalekites, was telling a dream to his comrade. See, clearly they were communists. Sorry. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) A man was telling... Yeah, thank you, Peter. I knew you'd get that one. A man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. In other words, this, this, uh, um, this barley, I, I can't even imagine what it, this cake of barley had to be a big cake in his dream. But this cake of barley came down and destroyed the camp which represented Midian. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. I want you to understand what just happened there. Okay, I want you to understand when God prepares something, He works through the enemy. See, what happened there was prophecy. Do you understand that? This this enemy of Gideon that him and Pur are sitting there listening to had a dream, a prophetic dream. And then his friend, neither one of them knew the Lord, his friend came and he interpreted this prophetic dream. He said, whoa, and it, don't, don't ask me how he knew it. I don't know. God brings a holy chaos. Okay? But he knew it. He knew the answer. He said, he said oh, wait a second. That's Israel. That's the sword, the very sword of Gideon that will come down on the camp of Midian and destroy the camp. 
So clearly, clearly, the Lord has been working on the enemy, right? So what does that do for Gideon? That's all he needed to hear. Verse 15, As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, what did he do? He worshipped. Oh man, I could just imagine. Imagine if you were Gideon and you were one of 300 that was going up against 135,000 and you hear the prophetic word of God through your very enemy's mouth and you believe it, you know it with your whole heart. What do you do? You fall to your knees and you worship. God, thank you. See, I didn't know what was going on before. I thought that you were calling for me to do this thing. But in reality, you are already doing it. You're doing it. I heard it from the encampment of the enemy with my own ears. And I worship you. I worship you for what you're going to do. So he worshipped. And he returned midway through verse 15. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise from the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So the two of them went back and Gideon poured what he just received into the other 298 men. And said, What I have received I give to you. Have confidence because the Lord has given them into our hands. Then he separated it into three companies, so there were hundred, hundred, hundred. They went around the encampment of the Midianites. And it's at night. Remember, this whole thing is at night. Okay? Each one was told to take a jar and a trumpet. And in the jar was a torch. Now, now it's not like jars today where they're glass. That would kind of defeat the purpose, right? Okay, back then they were clay jars. When they wanted to sneak up on somebody, they would... Don't even ask me how they keep it lit. I, they must have holes toward the bottom of it to allow air in. But they keep these torches in a jar so the light can't be seen. It allows them to sneak up on the enemy without being seen. So each one of these 300 separated in groups of 100 surrounded the encampment and they had their jar with their torch already lit and they had a trumpet. See, they it didn't even say they had a sword. Now, I'm sure maybe they carried a sword, but God didn't use that. They, and, and Gideon said, okay, trust me. What we do, because they didn't have walkie-talkies like we do, call them up on the cell phone. He said to the other groups of a hundred, he said, what we do, you do. Just copy what we do. And at the point that God told Gideon to do it, they broke their jars, they held up the torch, and they trumpeted their trump. They did it as loud as they could. Okay? Picture this going on. Verse 22. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. (laughs) God is bringing a holy chaos. Imagine what was going on there. 
135,000 looking at each other and just starting to kill each other. Yeah, I, I wish I had an explanation for that. I mean, maybe, maybe they, these are armies that hadn't worked much together. Maybe it was after this that armies figured out, hey, let's wear the same clothes. I don't, I don't know. I truly can't figure it out. Except that God did it. I just know you look bad. You know, it, it's, it's whatever God placed in their heart. But what happened? The scene became so chaotic, the enemy just thought of themselves. They just thought of themselves, swinging at everything around them. We won't read on, but so much so that over 120,000 of them died there. And it doesn't say that Gideon even swung a sword. Did I say sword? Swung a sword. Try saying that ten times fast. He didn't even fight. He's just... You know, they're, they're all up on the ridge line and these people are like... Ah! Killing each other. Imagine the chaos that ensued. Imagine that I don't know what the heck is going on in the enemy's mind. And then they die. And then a remnant was left. <laughs> you can imagine the mind of the remnant. Realize, whew, yeah, I took out 20 of them. Then only to realize you just killed all your own people. Okay, we better run. We better run. And, and again, we won't read on, but I'll tell you what happens. Because at this point, they moved on. They ran. The 15,000 of them ran. And Gideon pursued them. But he didn't just pursue them with the 300. Now he brought in everybody else. All the, all the 3,000... 31,700 that were left. He brought them all in. And then on the way, he even brought others in. And they pursued the enemy to destroy the enemy. I want you to understand, this is where the bride of Christ is right now. And this is part of the prophetic word he gave me on Tuesday. Because you take the entire bride of Christ... And you bring them down to those who are ready. Who keep their eye on the prize. What's that prize? Intimacy with Jesus Christ. I pick those to do my work. And you're going to see those people in the bride of Christ rising up all throughout the globe. That, w- that is what he is called ignition for. He has taught us to keep our eyes forward as we see distraction come. Don't allow distraction in your life. Don't allow it. Because it will take you off course. See, God's will is going to be done because he will find those who he can do it with.
just like Gideon. Picture the bride of Christ like the 32,000 that were there for Israel. He dwindled it down to 300. Why? Because one, they were ready. And two, he was not going to share the glory with anybody. Even those 300. That's why they didn't engage in the battle. The battle was the Lord's. So when you see this chaos going on in the world today, when you see this going on around you that it just seems like things are falling apart, pray for the Lord to give you eyes to see clearly what He's doing. See, He's fighting the battle for us. We don't have to fight the battle. We have to just trust Him. We have to just seek Him. He makes it real simple. You want to be one of these 300? Seek me with everything you have. Trust me with everything you have. When I lay odds before your feet that aren't going to make sense, just look up. Don't look at the odds. Look at me. Just trust Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying to us right now. In this time of turmoil, don't look at things and believe that you understand them a certain way. See, in Gideon's case, there was no way he could possibly understand what was going on until a prophetic word from the Lord came and gave him confidence. Trust in what God says. Trust in what God's doing. As you seek Him in your own life, trust in what He's doing. Ignore the distractions or deal with the distractions. But don't do them in a way that you take your eyes off of Him. Don't be driven to the left or to the right like a man tossed to and fro. I believe it says in James. See, that man is unstable. That person doesn't know what they really want because they can be distracted that easily. Know what you want. If you want intimacy with Jesus Christ, you keep that as your focus and you do not let the enemy distract you from it, period. And you watch. You watch the holy chaos that God brings all around you and in this nation and in this world and see what He does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. We thank You and praise You, God. You are El Shaddai, our all-sufficient one. We trust in what You do. God, I pray that You press in to the hearts of each of us this morning. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask, do you remember a time, and nobody looking around, do you remember a time, because all these things I've been talking about, there's a qualifier to be part of this. There's a qualifier to be part of this.
And that is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Where you have yielded your heart to Him. Asked Him into your heart. So I want to ask you, do you remember a time in your life, a specific time, where you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior? If you did not, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Nobody looking around. Is is there anyone in here that does not recall having that moment in their life? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else. Is there anyone in here that has not accepted Jesus Christ into their heart? Okay, so Christian, evaluate where you are in your life with Christ, in your pursuit of intimacy with Him. Are you sidetracked by distraction? Or perhaps you've not even seen the goal yet. Perhaps you've not even seen to ask for the intimacy yet. Father, I pray for everyone here that you would open eyes to see, open ears to hear what you have in store for each one. Your love that pours out, that covers everything, God. We ask for it to be poured out this morning as we each deal with our relationship with you. Lord, and we thank you. I thank you for Ignition's calling. I thank you that you are testing us, that you have, have prepared us for this chaos that you will bring to the enemy and effectively have the enemy do to himself. Thank you, Lord. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. That is such an exciting story. Um, I know some of you have heard it so many times, but man, that is... Um, where if we get the movie, right? We want the, the movie. There's nothing like Old Testament stories to get you really, really excited. But you know, one thing that stood out to me in um, verse um, 8 of that chapter, I'm just need my bulletin here, but I think it's in, in verse 8 or verse 9, when it said, the Lord has given you the victory. You know, in the spirit realm, things happen there before they happen in the human physical realm. And so it struck me that Gideon had to believe the Lord had already given him the victory, even though they were still, in their reality, they were still facing the army and the attack that was, you know, humanly imminent. So that's really a significant part of the story, that he's wanting us to believe what he speaks is true, even when it is not yet our reality. And that is a challenge. There's things he's spoken over my life yet that he is asking me by faith before I see it delivered, whether it be Ignition Church or in my life personally. And that's really, really huge. But, you know, the other thing that struck me about Gideon um, is it's the ultimate, you know, Greg was trying to give us a human side of what must be going on in his mind. And I was thinking, boy, how true that is. That is the ultimate story of what would be an I can't. But Lord, I can't. But I mean, but I mean, but come on, Lord, you, I can't. Okay, I mean, you have you not looked at what my situation is? I can't. And I, the one of the things that's been difficult for me, my Africa trip was 
absolutely one of the biggest things, and I know there's more coming, but where he said, you know, just find out what I want you to do. Because whether you can do it or not, in your mind, is irrelevant. Because it is about me and my glory, God says. And so every single aspect of that trip was an I can't. I can't fly over that big of an ocean. I can't. I mean, I just, the heat, the heat. (laughs) I have to make fun of myself because I know people already make fun of me. But Lord, do you not know that I get hot? You know, know, all this stuff. And and he just knows me. He's like, you know, I kind of knew what I got when I called you and when when I called you before the foundations of the earth and knew you were going to be born. I kind of knew what I was getting when you were born. And so, yes, you can go to Africa. It's really about what God wants for our lives, not about our limitations. And you know, this is the only point I want to make that just struck me so strong. When we say, I can't, we really, it's, it's an opportunity for Satan to deceive us into thinking God has robbed us from something. Because guess what? What God did in the miracles that are still rocking me today, in, in even this example of Africa that I told you about, if I had said I can't, took the choice of I'm not doing it. You know, and there was a point, and I shared that story before, that I said I wasn't doing it, and the Lord you know, showed me another side of it. But if I had said, no, I'm not going to do it, then I would have had the opportunity to turn around then and go, okay, wow, look at all that's happening in McCurdy, all these great testimonies, all these miracles. Well, God, you're not doing that in my life. You know, I mean, you're, you're not doing that for me. He's going to deceive, Satan deceives us into thinking that God somehow robbed us of something. But really, we said, I can't. I can't. So that's what's so powerful about God doing what he did with Gideon is that he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could even dare to ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. And he is certainly about to do it on a a national and global scale. But he is about to do it with Ignition Church. And he is about to do it in you individually. Your only issue is just yes. It's just yes. I don't have to figure it out. And I loved that analogy. Just trying to grasp, trying to make sense of it. The 13 to 1 and the, the calculations. and the Yeah, oh, he was the calculator. Okay, he really calculated it. But, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do. We still try to figure it out. And we've got to get out of our own way because things won't make sense. And I often use the tithing as an example, too. It'll never make sense in your checkbook when you just tithe. But God says, you know what, if you'll let me just do, I just want to do something supernaturally in your life financially. I just, please get out of my way. I want to do it. You just keep, you just keep kind of reining it in, and, and I want to bless you, and you, but you keep telling me I can't. And we essentially tie the hands of God because of the beautiful free will that he gives us. But he wants to bless us desperately. So whether it be in tithes and offerings, whether it be in your pouring into him in your worship, in your Bible reading, in any other steps of faith that you know the Lord is speaking to you in, just say, okay, Lord, I know I can't, but I can do all things through Christ. That verse does not say, I can do all things that I want to do through Christ who strengthens me. That verse says, I can do all things through Christ that he's called us to do. Yes. Because right. you're right. You're not, you don't, I mean, I can't jump into a ministry he's not called me to do and expect that he's going to do supernatural things. He's got to call me to do it. 
And that's where people get into trouble misrepresenting scripture. Is thinking that they can just, well, it's a good thing, Lord. It's a good thing. I'm going to just do it. Just give me the strength. Do what he's called you to do. That's when you're going to walk in supernatural power. So there's a difference there. We have to be careful. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of the scripture that we read. Okay? Um, I just want to have just remind you of a couple of quick announcements that um, are in your bulletin. I love that Greg put the press in hard. We are, is it six days? Five days days to the end of the fast. Now, in Greg's case, he's going to go all the way through the election. Um, But um, the actual end of the 40 days is Friday. And Friday night at midnight, uh, come on over for pizza. No, I'm just kidding. I really mean that, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're going to have a wonderful prayer night that night that is very special. It's going to start at 9 o'clock from 9 to midnight right here. And um, it is really, I mean... What God has already spoken that he is going to do in these last days of the fast is really significant. So each day, you know, expect the unexpected, both in the warfare for protection and walking in victory, but also expect the unexpected in God's revelation of of truth. Expect that you're going to have a a verse just rock your world. Expect that something maybe even in your circumstances will change. You know, don't underestimate what God will do. Jeremiah 33.3, and I love that the 333s are there. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He's going to show us things that we know not, that we don't know. Okay? So whatever that may be, come to him with a hunger. He honors our hunger. But we got to press in hard. And if there is one thing that many of us have faced, maybe multiple times, maybe to the point of defeat in some of you, and, and it's never, not even, even if you've had lots of defeat in this fast, you can start literally right now. And continue to fast through the rest of the day. Don't have an all or nothing mentality. But if there's one thing that a lot of people have struggled with. Is saying. I can't. Lord this, is, this day is just too. I, just, I can't. I can't. You'd be amazed what God can do. To sustain the human body. When you give him your yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you stories in Africa. When it comes to that. <laughs> they don't have good toilets there. Um, yeah. <laughs> So um, what God can do supernaturally in your bodies, I know, it's just, you're like, is she saying this out loud? But you know what? It's the still, it's the need, food is the need of the flesh. So when you just give God your yes, if he's called you to fast, give him your yes, you can do it. He will do things that are beyond, okay? Now, he's not going to call you to do things that, you know, some people started off with a, with a lofty goal of their flesh, like, well, I'm just going to. I'm going to fast, and I'm just not even. I'm going to fast my sleep. I'm just going to stay awake for 40 days. You know, we can't go. We can't do things in some religious feeling of I'm going to do something crazy and it'll be my miracle. No, ask God what He wants you to do. That's when His promises apply. So it's true with fasting too. Some people enter into some of these big, huge things in their flesh because they sound really spiritual. Um, but we got to be careful that we're led of the Spirit in that because that's when we know He's going to walk with you. Each step. But even though we've had some struggles, just ask God to help you. This next several days, I am so excited about what God will do. Um, Now, the the Thursday, a week from this Thursday, is our celebration at Pat's Pizzeria. And again, it's because of the meeting space um, that they have. It'll be wonderful. They can hold 50 people. Um, It is for every single person and guest of Ignition. It is not just for people that were partaking in the fast. 
So I need you to know that while it is a celebration of the fast and a testimony time, it is for everyone to be encouraged. Yeah. Even if the Lord didn't lead you to be part of the fast, that's okay. We want you to come. We'd love for you to celebrate. Children on up. It's for every single person in Ignition that night, Thursday. And it's going to be at 7 o'clock. I thought it was 6.30. I think I told somebody 6.30, but 7 o'clock. Um, and that will allow us to you know, but try to be a little bit early. We want to start right on time. And it's going to be a great night. But Friday night is starts a little later. We still have our normal Tuesday. It does not replace Tuesday night. And um, there is significant power when we pray together. So I really, really hope that you'll be part of these things. And um, I'm just so excited about what God is doing. And, um, again, be in prayer tomorrow night um, for just things that uh, go on. Just uh, If you would just be extra sensitive to the Spirit of God to pray for people either in your neighborhoods or whatever. As we know, tomorrow night's Halloween um, there are more crimes committed. There is more evil that takes place upon children than in any other day of the entire year. Um, and so we really need to be vigilant. Just ask the Spirit of God to just uh, t- show you how to pray, what to pray. And uh, we're going to have some more information for you, um, you know, for next year that will help you to understand biblically how to even look at that holiday. Um, but just do pray tomorrow night and be very, very careful. Um, it is not a lighthearted deal. It's, it's actually the, um, I shared with the ladies' class that, the actual um, original founder of the Satanic Church was quoted by saying, he says, he said, I get, I get Christians, uh, even Christians, I get them one day out of every year um, to, to, to worship with me because of the fact that how blind Christians are to really the true meaning of Halloween because he knows good and well the seriousness of it. And so he actually thinks that, that we're joining him in his worship um, of Satan on that day. And that's a pretty strong statement, but it was, the, it was that he said it. So just be careful and be mindful. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of evil that comes out. And so we want to really you know, lift up the body of Christ, lift up people in your neighborhood and pray for your children that you see and, and just be mindful of that. Um, we can, the light shines brighter than evil, right? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Praise God. So. Yeah, by the way... Um, Africa does have nice bathrooms. It's just not where we were. <laughs> we, we were way out in the bush, and, and it was funny. I, I, I'll just tell you real quick. And, Wendy, I'm going to have you come up and pray, close this out. But um, we were out in the bush, and I, I, I told the pastor there, I, I need to go to the restroom. Where do I go? And he, he kind of points over there. And, and I go over there, and, and it's, it's this, like, little, I don't know, mud wall or whatever. came up to about here on me. And it, it was just a wall all the way around with one little opening. And I said, you mean that? And he goes, yeah, right there. <laughs> so I'm walking in there and I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to Yep. Okay. So everybody's watching me. I'm just glad I didn't have to go number two. But where we stay is actually a very beautiful, beautiful place in McCurdy. And that brings this this announcement up that we now know when our next trip is to Nigeria. We're very excited about this. Um, it's going to be the middle of April, and I hoped it would be sooner than that, but the Holy Spirit said it, middle of April. But I say this now because if the Lord has been speaking to you to go on this next trip with us, I want you to talk to me. Um, this is not a, a trip I'm recruiting people for because we only want who God wants to go on and, and then uh, I, I am thankful that he's telling us now so we have time to raise money for it um, uh, but uh, 
if the Lord has been speaking to you about it or you pray and, and have him speak to you about it, come let me know and, and just, just trust in what he's doing. And then, uh, uh, now remember this week, because we're doing the Friday night thing, um, first of all, there's going to be worship and everything else. Come here. It's going to be awesome. It's really going to be awesome. But there is no Thursday night ignition, okay, because of that, just, just so you're aware. And the youth, I don't know, is the youth doing something before 9 o'clock or no? Okay, so everything next Friday night starts at 9 o'clock, um, but, uh, and, and it'll be right here. So there's no ignition on Thursday night. Amen? Well, you're really 